Welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. My name is Dana Hart, and we welcome you to our next episode where we will discuss recent developments around domestic U.S. transfer pricing. For those listeners outside of the U.S. with operations in the U.S., you may find this discussion on state tax issues particularly enlightening. Let me introduce our speakers for today. I'm joined by Drew Kim. Drew is a state and local tax partner with PwC US. Jana Lesney. Jana is a transfer pricing managing director with PwC US. And Matt Lindemann. Matt is a state and local tax director also with PwC US. Today, our speakers will discuss how state tax authorities are looking to raise revenue and increasingly scrutinizing domestic intercompany transactions. They will also highlight considerations for companies related to developing effective state audit defense strategies. Drew is our moderator for today's podcast, so Drew, I'm going to hand the mic over to you. Thanks, Dana. And as you mentioned in in the introduction here, we are seeing um, quite a lot of activity from the various states in and around transfer pricing. And I think typically when taxpayers hear the term transfer pricing, you know, the initial thought is to think about international cross-border intercompany transactions. But from a multi-state perspective, our clients and taxpayers are really seeing transfer pricing become relevant across state borders as well. Uh, The state tax authorities are really stepping up their transfer pricing related activities, primarily due to a few different um, triggers, one being judicial and legislative activity that requires such a focus on transfer pricing. And then Dana, as you indicated, the states are continuously looking to, to raise revenue. And in doing so, they're turning to outside experts and resources to help train their audit staff on transfer pricing issues. And the states are also, um, especially over the last year or two, collaborating more with one another and trying to find ways to create efficiencies in the process, such as state APAs. And so in response to this, you know, what we're seeing from our clients and taxpayers is a need for coordinated tax services across the various states, business-driven and and sustainable planning ideas, as well as effective state audit defense strategies, which this is where we'll primarily focus on today during the podcast. Some may view the pandemic as having prompted this increased scrutiny of transfer pricing at the state level, But we've actually been seeing this activity well before the pandemic and in certain states going back as far as three, four years ago. So with that, Matt, um, I know you've been involved in a number of state audits involving transfer pricing issues. Do you want to start us off with an overview of the current landscape? Uh, Sure, Drew. Uh, Yeah, we, we are seeing a significant increase in transfer pricing controversy among the states including North Carolina, Alabama, Louisiana, and Indiana, just to name a few states. Uh, States are approaching transfer pricing in a different way now by looking to transfer pricing economists and other professionals to assist with their ongoing audits. Uh, Some states 
are entering into contracts with transfer pricing consulting firms to bolster their expertise, while other states have been creating dedicated transfer pricing audit teams to work in state audit divisions. Uh, states also have authority to share information through pre-existing information exchange agreements. Uh, for example, the Indian Department of Revenue's transfer pricing group is currently working with a collaborative group of 13 states to share information regarding transfer pricing to ensure they're using the up-to-date techniques and processes under audit. Uh, we've also seen states develop a number of different dispute channels. Businesses may evaluate in handling their transfer pricing controversy. One such channel is the state of Indiana's APA program. The Indiana APA program is modeled after the IRS's program and generally will cover six years or two audit cycles in addition to the current audit cycle. So in total, one APA may cover up to nine taxable years. Uh, the APA program may be ideal for those taxpayers who are regularly under examination as a way to resolve that audit process in a more efficient manner. Uh, taxpayers who are not under audit and taxpayers who are just in the beginning stages of their audit may request to participate in the program. And the first APA was executed back in 2020 uh, with a corporate taxpayer. And we've seen additional interest from clients in participating as well as hearing other states have interest in developing their own APA programs. Thanks, Matt. Um, Jana, you're part of our uh, national tax services team focusing on transfer pricing. What's your reaction to what you're seeing across the various states? Thanks, Drew. Uh, yeah, just to um, follow up on what Matt was saying and what you were saying earlier as well, I, I mean, in terms of this burgeoning audit situation we're seeing with the states, many of them looking at transfer pricing as an issue to audit, you know, at least the way they start the audits, the way they develop their positions very much derives for the most part from the federal rules, meaning that they look at Section 482 and the regulations promulgated there under the Internal Revenue Code, and that's kind of their toolkit for developing the audits and, and raising the adjustments. So it's very much in some sense like a federal audit of a transfer pricing issue, but obviously the transactions, they're not cross-border, you know, internationally, they're across state lines. And the states, however, are not, you know, for the most part, they're just not as experienced yet as the uh, IRS examiners. So in terms of how they look at 482 and the rules and how they apply them, in many ways, you know, the good and the bad of it is, is that they're making the investment, they're trying to come up to speed, training's a huge issue, but in many ways, it's baby steps in terms of helping the state examiners to understand, frankly, in, in some instances, how to use the tools correctly, how to develop a transfer pricing audit, you know, how to apply these concepts that at the IRS level, or, you know, for the most part, you know, the rules of the road are very well defined, but here we find that, you know, there's very much a uh, conclusory jump in many ways to understanding a factual situation, 
to how they want to approach something from an economic situation. So it often requires a great deal of sort of pulling things back to a starting point to really understand the functional profile of the transactions in the correct way. And then from there to come up with the right, you know, economic analysis to, uh, you know, address what's being raised in the audit scenario by the state examiners. Thanks, Gina. I think as we as state practitioners have seen throughout our careers is that the states have always been looking to generate revenue and they've used other alternative methods in the past to look at intercompany transactions. And, and I think, Janie, you kind of touched a little bit upon this in terms of this being a, a new, you know, avenue for the states, but maybe it makes sense here to kind of step back and talk a little bit around the motivation for the state taxing authorities and, and why are they focused on transfer pricing now? So, Matt, you maybe want to share your thoughts and then we can turn it over to Gina. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. So, we're, we're seeing clients defaulting to simplistic application of transfer pricing methods uh, using a basic version of a comparable profits method. And we've seen clients use an emphasis on ownership of physical assets as part of this simplistic approach when there may be significant value in intangible property used by the business. We, we've also seen clients have a one-sided analysis and as a result may disregard the proper impact of adjustments on the counterparties to the intercompany transactions. And finally, I'm seeing reliance on outdated studies by clients. It's common to see clients using benchmark studies for more than a few years old. And when this happens, there is a strong chance of controversy under audit. Uh, immediately comes to mind, this, this will raise various questions regarding the validity of comparable selections. Uh, states have been known to scrutinize many areas here, including the timeliness of the comparables, uh, exclusion of loss-making companies, companies that may no longer be in, in business anymore, uh, inappropriate adjustments that are made under the transfer pricing report, and then uh, comparables being used from a point in time with different economic conditions than, than they are today. Yeah, and uh, just to really reinforce your, your message, because it's absolutely correct, and it's something that, you know, we, again, we've learned it more you know, historically through the international space, cross-border transactions, but also dealing with the IRS. And frankly, even, a, you know, a movement within the last few years for the IRS to really, um, you know, push taxpayers to develop documentation that is uh, more robust and less perfunctory, because in some instances it's devolved to that even on that level. It really is critical that on the state level, too, that given this uptick in audit activity of transfer pricing, that taxpayers approach their documentation in a uh, more robust, thorough, uh, comprehensive way so that from a protect and defense standpoint, you know, they're ready. Um, you know, when the audit begins, they have um, something that's current and that's consistent to share with the exam team as a way of either, you know, trying to shut the transfer pricing piece of it down at the offset because they have 
uh, such strong documentation, or at least, you know, the, in trying to ensure that the narrative really goes along the lines of the way the transfer pricing methodology has been set up. And, you know, something that you said is critical to reinforce, which is that taxpayers should have current documentation, not something that's just getting dusted off for the audit, but it should be current. Intercompany agreements should be current and consistent with that documentation. In fact, really all the pieces should be looked at regularly and come together to tell a consistent story in the way that the documentation ultimately supports. Again, you, you know, the proxy for this or the analog is the federal transfer pricing audits and the way we've learned over the last 30, 40 years, frankly, how to um, be prepared and how to approach them. It really is the same now with the states, with the understanding that I mentioned earlier that with some of the states, they're, they're really um, coming up to speed in some ways on their own in terms of how to perform these audits. So you have to work with them in terms of introducing and socializing concepts that may be very ordinary in the uh, international realm, but are more novel concepts at the state level, particularly, I would say, around intellectual property and certain types of transfers and also certain types of methodologies. You said earlier, Matt, that, uh, you know, oftentimes it's, you know, both the taxpayers and the states sort of immediately go to a CPM analysis and maybe the profit level indicator they choose is operating margin. And in some instances, that may ultimately be correct, and you just you know want to make sure that the comparables selected are appropriate and, and adjustments made are reasonable. But in other instances, it could be that it really is a different methodology, such as profit split that's appropriate, or a different types of PLI or profit level indicator. Could be a very ratio, it could be a return on assets. But these things need to be thought through carefully and then thought about in terms of, again, making sure that it's a consistent profile. Thanks, Gina. Actually, maybe to try to pull this all together now, I think as we've been talking, you know, the states are clearly increasing their knowledge in and around transfer pricing issues, and they're certainly motivated to do so. You know, when we combine all of this with the complexities of dealing with transfer pricing issues across the various states and, you know, historically less of a focus by companies on domestic transfer pricing documentation as compared to what's done for federal purposes and cross-border transactions. I guess, Matt, Jana, curious on your thoughts in terms of what should companies be doing now given all of these complexities? Jana, you maybe want to lead us off? Sure, thanks. And, and some of it I've already alluded to, but it's really sort of not just waiting for the audits to begin and see where they go and, and kind of see where the files are and, you know, what can be pulled together and what makes sense at that point in time. I think a proactive approach, particularly, obviously, in the states that have already made themselves known as uh, being assertive in the transfer pricing realm, but also, you know, more and more states are going to come up to bat here. So it's really taking a fresh, proactive look of the um, policies that are in place historically and seeing if they really make sense. And if they do, great. 
then it's really, you know, thinking about whether the support that exists is, is adequate, is, it's current enough, what can be done to make it more robust. But if it's not, if things have changed and the uh, documentation that exists really doesn't reflect that, doesn't make sense anymore, really coming in with a, a fresh eye and preparing the right sort of defense files so that from an audit perspective, again, um, you're ready when the audit begins and you've got you know, a very strong supporting documentation that you can bring forward to set the discussion up from the get-go in the right fashion, rather than sort of starting on the defensive on your back foot. You're ready, and uh, you you know take it from there in terms of, like I said, either being able potentially to really shut down the audit of those issues because the taxpayers made its case, or at least again, uh, if the dialogue continues to have it continue along the way that the taxpayer really has shaped up its policies and its methodologies so that the discussion continues really, you know, in terms of not changing the framework, but working with it in terms of making the determination, you know, what is the right outcome here? Yeah, Jane, I think those are all great points. Uh, just one item to add to that. In addition, I think corporate tax department should keep up to date on changes to their business operations and structuring, uh, which we're uh, obviously seeing a lot of clients uh, dealing with currently, uh, re reassessing their operations and how those integrate into their current structure. And with that, be prepared to respond to the extent the transfer pricing policies are impacted from those changes. Um, and keeping current with, with the tax authorities' actions uh, will help focus taxpayers' efforts in this area of staying on top of their transfer pricing. Thanks, Matt. Well, this has been a great conversation around a topic that companies clearly, you know, from a state tax perspective, as well as transfer pricing need to be focused on as the states are certainly, as we've touched upon, getting much more aggressive in this area. But I guess as we look to wrap up our discussion here today, would each of you mind giving maybe one or two quick takeaways? Yeah, sure, Drew. I can I can start. I think as Gina pointed out, I think the general takeaway here is that businesses should evaluate their intercompany transactions in anticipation of potential controversy at the state level, and taxpayers should be prepared to provide contemporaneous documentation and files to support the arm's length nature of those transactions. Uh, they should be prepared to engage with the tax authorities to help them understand the functions that are ongoing and those relationships between the affiliated businesses. And finally, be prepared with responding to tax authority uh, demands for additional information with various uh, information requests and the like. Uh, Jana, I know you, you probably have a couple takeaways as well. Yeah, no, thanks, Matt. Yeah, one thing, and we've talked about it, but I just want to reinforce, uh, which is that, at, you know, at the end of the day, you know, cases succeed or fail, depending on their facts and the way, you know, the facts are portrayed. So I think it's really critical that companies really do know their facts. And while it, it seems like it should always be the case, given the speed at which, you know, businesses change, it isn't always true that, all you know, the facts are known, or if they are, that again, they're not reflected necessarily in the correct way at all times in documentation, in agreements. So it's very important that the right factual story be known 
and be developed, you know, before the audit. You know, ideally, again, the proactive approach is always the best one. Beyond that, uh, I also just like to add that in terms of, you know, ways of addressing these types of issues, we talked a little bit about, you know, APAs. Um, in this case, the analog IRS level would be a unilateral APA, meaning it's just between the taxpayer and the U.S. government or the taxpayer, in this case, the states. We shouldn't be expecting um, bilateral APAs or multilateral APAs or the multi-state tax commission necessarily stepping in to come up with some sort of panacea to address um, these types of issues in a way that will allow for a, an outcome for, you know, multiple states through one process. Um, so, again, it will really require even more effort from taxpayers potentially to really manage this on a state-by-state -state basis. But given the increasing nature of these types of audits, the investments that the states are making to get better at these audits, the fact that they need to drive revenue through these audits, it is critical that the proactive approach be the one that drives these analyses and these processes so that taxpayers are ready at the outset to tell their story to the tax authorities in order to really do as much as they can to, you know, try to control and guide the audit process. Drew, Janet, and Matt, thank you for joining me today and sharing your insights. I also want to thank our listeners. If you have any questions about today's discussion, we encourage you to reach out to your regular PwC transfer pricing contact for immediate response. Thank you for listening and have a great day. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.